1: John Gibbons is with us for our weekly last word on the environment. And John, COP28 has kicked off in Dubai today and there's quite a few listeners who are saying that it's CON28 for all sorts of reasons. It's not just those listeners who are uh, climate change deniers. It's those who are pointing out what's the point of all of this by going to Dubai and going to the United Arab Emirates where they have lots of oil money that powers the economy and where they intend to continue expanding their oil production rather than it.
0: Yeah, good evening. Matt. I, mean, I think they're all valid questions, and, and that question certainly has been asked. And 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 also appointing the the head of the UAE's national petroleum company uh, as the president of COP twenty eight was certainly considered to be a, a controversial move. And I think this has particularly come to light because the the BBC uh, a BBC investigation has also established that uh, the the uh, UAE government have used the cover of COP to actually organize uh, negotiations for oil and gas leasing. So they're basically, if you'll pardon the phrase, they're gaslighting us right there at the COP conference. So the type of cynicism that your your listeners are suggesting is entirely understandable. But uh, let me offer a couple of different perspectives. First of all, um, Global warming, as we know, is a global problem. So therefore, we've got to involve all the players, all the stakeholders, including the people that are driving the problem. That means you've got to get the likes of the fossil fuel industry, whether we like it or not, they have to be inside the tent. So the the, the COP process, basically, which is the conference of the parties, this moves around to different parts of the world. So it's the turn at the moment for the Middle East to be involved. And it is important that this doesn't simply become a talking shop between Europe and the US, which so many so-called international conferences tend to be. So in that sense, bringing it to places like the UAE I think is a really good idea. And another reason, Matt, I think it's a really good idea is that uh, the Middle East and and the UAE in particular they're facing temperatures over the next 30 to 40 years that will render their entire region uninhabitable. So by having... Being a climate conference where we're discussing exactly these things right there inside the United Arab Emirates, this means that it's much more difficult for them, even domestically, to control the narrative, which is, look, uh, we can manage this oil and gas and it's a transition, et cetera, et cetera, which has very much been how the industry has defended itself so far.
1: Okay, but, but it not be better to do this remotely using modern video technology rather than have everyone flying to get there. I mean, we've even seen out of the UK, it turns out that the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and And one of his predecessors, who he's brought back in as Foreign Secretary David Cameron, are both going. They're going in separate private chats.
0: Yeah, I assume that's probably because they don't like each other very much, Matt. Uh, But I do take your point. I will say this, right? First of all, um, virtual negotiations, when when it comes to to something as, as complex and sensitive as this, virtual negotiations have their limits. So you've got to get people into a room. You've got to knock heads together. Also, a lot of business at these giant conferences is done around the water cooler. It's done late at night. It's done in small groups and so on. And it is next to impossible to replicate that uh, on Zoom now, I think it's really important to say that in the scheme of the type of crisis that we have with global emissions, the emissions involved in getting people to a COP conference is a proverbial drop in the ocean. Now, of course, we should we should look for good example, but you know, if there's one exemption that people will make for for flying, in particular long-haul flying, it is to go to climate conferences. And I I know that some people say, oh yeah, well, what about this and what about that? But I think that is the place. And if somebody, if one of your listeners is concerned about this, here's what they can do. They themselves can can make a, a voluntary contribution to say not fly for the next year or two to help offset those, those emissions that are being run up by climate negotiators. So if you're genuinely concerned about the emissions of climate negotiators all you've got to do is help yourself by offsetting those emissions but I think it's important that they're in the room for example Leo Faradkar is in uh, Dubai today and uh uh Caroline O'Doherty was reporting in the Irish Independent earlier that his first trip, Matt, in the in the UAE was to visit a six thousand unit dairy farm. Apparently, they also milk camels there, which is news to me. And I'm also told that this farm sponsors the local GAA club. Uh, I didn't know they had them in Dubai, but there you go. But I think that's Leo Varadkar, number one, uh, flying the flag for Ireland, and number two, uh, letting us know, if you like, in between things, uh, who who he's out there representing
1: okay tell us about this agreement on loss and damage that they've already reached on the first day
0: yeah that's right I, I Ben referred to it in the, in the bulletin at five o'clock this uh, this began really at, at cop 27 and it, it it offers if you like the UAA uh, the UAE a small win today so what this means basically is the purpose of what's called loss and damage is to compensate the developing world who are not driving the climate crisis uh, so basically, developed countries like ireland like like the us and and so on we're supposed to transfer funds to the developing world to compensate them for the fact that their climate is being destabilized through our actions that's that's so it's it's a climate compensation fund now what they agreed today, uh, in total amounts to between three and four hundred million dollars. A couple of things to say, Matt. Number one, these are voluntary contributions. And number two, let me give you an example of the kind of pledges that were made today. The UAE and Germany both pledged a hundred million dollars, which is about eighty million euros. Um the, the United States, the world's wealthiest country, uh offered $24.5 million. So, I mean, to call that a drop in the ocean would be probably an overstatement. Now, it is estimated at the moment that loss and damage experienced by developing countries as a direct result of climate impacts that they haven't caused is costing the developing world about 400 billion euros in damages a year. So what we're looking at at the moment is approximately 1,000 fold greater. So there's 1000 of the value of the losses that are being incurred is what's been offered so if this is how we measure success i, will, I would shudder to see what failure would look like
1: okay uh, tell us as well about the warning of a 2% rise in global temperatures what it'll do to our world's ice
0: yeah this is uh, this is called the cryosphere report and uh, this is come out uh, again ahead of cop28 and it's really uh it's a warning from 60 leading scientists first of all the cryosphere basically means the frozen parts of of the earth so this is the obviously the poles and also what's called the third pole which is the himalayas uh, greenland and so on so basically what we know for sure from this report is that at two degrees centigrade, we're going to be committed to losing vast amounts of the world's ice. This is gone. Now, it doesn't mean it all happens instantly because the... the, the Quantities involved, Matt, are so vast that it will take time. But the calculation uh, on the state of the Cryosphere report is that we're looking at two degrees centigrade. And bear in mind, Matt, this year we're at one point four. Now we may fall back to one point two, but we're 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 well on the way to two degrees. And they say that once we strike two degrees, the world is committed to being t- between twelve and. T- 20 meters of sea level rise uh, it is in their phrase mat locked in now if you take a median figure of that we're looking at about 16 meters of sea level rise now translate that into old money that's about 50 52 feet. Of sea level rise. It won't all happen next week. It won't all happen in 10 years. But that is what we, this generation, are committing to every future generation. It's a staggering thought. And that, by the way, Matt, is at two degrees. The world currently is on track for, depending on who you ask, somewhere between 2.5 and maybe 3.2 degrees. Now, one of your listeners in the opening remarks asked the question Is this thing not just a waste of time? And I addressed that in an article I wrote about this. uh, today. And I think it's really important to say that while COP and the whole intergovernmental process is frustrating, and but bear in mind, this requires bringing 190 something countries together to agree on stuff, which is really difficult. But bear in mind, despite all the frustrations, 10 years ago, the projection was that we were headed for four degrees centigrade. Now, because of steps taken through the, the COP process, that Estimate is now down to, as I say, two point five to three. That that extra degree is is absolutely critical. So I would say, uh, and I'm as cynical as the next person about these 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 talking shops. But the reality is, without the COP we have nothing. I think that's the important thing to say. It's next to impossible to get all the governments of the world to sit down in the one room and agree about stuff. It's okay. really difficult. There's a lot what of interesting
1: comments coming in, John. Caroline says at COP, lobbying and watering down of essential agreements is even more likely to be done around the water coolers and at late at night. So why not try remote meetings even partially to show value congruence? That's from Caroline. Uh, then we have lots of people do not like your idea of you suggesting to them that they should not fly because as a compensation for David Cameron and Rishi Sunak flying on separate corporate jets and all the other political leaders going in flying there as well uh, they're saying why should they have to make a sacrifice so that these guys can go and have their flights. Another listener is saying he's going on his first flight and holiday in 8 years and he's prompted to do so because he knows people who went to 4 Rugby World Cup games uh, each match individually uh, during the be World Cup and says like, well if they're all doing this why should he have to give up to actually make way for what they've done
0: yeah I, if I can start maybe with Caroline's remark at the outset there you're absolutely right and she's absolutely right in saying that there really is an issue with the, the infestation of lobbyists uh and infiltration of lobbyists. And the two big groups that we're seeing that are really pressing hard to, to interfere with and influence COP28 uh, are, of course, the fossil fuel lobby. But they're closely matched, actually, by the, 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 the livestock sector as well, has a huge presence at COP28. Uh, they they have all guns blazing, basically, to push this thing called uh, sustainable livestock. Uh, because the point being made by the, the COP negotiators is that, of course, fossil fuels is a massive uh, challenge. But in fact, the global food production system, depending on how you calculate it, is contributing between 20 and 30%, like up to a third of all global emissions. And most of that has been driven by livestock systems. And so the livestock industry globally, and of course here in Ireland, represents this as a clear and present danger to their business model, which of course is selling product. And they're uh, represented royally and spending huge amounts of money uh, to get in the room in COP. But I, I do appreciate there is that hazard, but I would stress that this is, still the best way of getting business and there are come up with a better way
1: also lots of people saying that no matter what we in the west offer to do that it will still be the likes of china and india who will continue the way that they are going and also another listener saying the rich top one percent are the biggest polluters and that's where we can start rather than expecting any of our listeners to do it who most almost certainly are not part of the one percent richest in the world are they
0: well, funnily enough, um, to be among the richest 1% in the world, I think the calculation roughly is that if you earn, uh, I think it's 100,000 euros or more, uh, you're already in the, the world's richest 1%. In fact, it may even be lower than that. So many, many Irish people, are in the world's richest 1%. And if you take that out, say, to the world's richest 2%, Matt, most Irish people are, in fact, in the world's richest 2%. So I think we do have a, a tendency here to kid ourselves a little bit about how hard things are. Uh, like, look around. Just have a look at, at what's happening in the developing world uh, and, and get a sense of perspective. And, and I would say this for any of us, anyone, for example who's ever set foot on an airplane is already one of the world's elite because most people in the world have never set foot in an aircraft, will never set foot in an aircraft. And it's our emissions from all our activities, whether it's our oversized vehicles or our over or our air flights or our dietary choices, those are what's driving this crisis and I think it's really incredibly important and I, I do understand the, the the slight fatalism that I'm hearing coming through in some of the remarks but it's important to stress this Matt we're in this together right, irrespective of whether you're rich or poor, global north global south, we're in this boat together and basically at the moment what we're being told by organisations like the World Meteorological Organisation is this boat is going down, if we don't address it, basically it doesn't really matter about all your other plans and, and we've talked about this many times over the last couple of years but the fact is that the climate emergency is getting away from us globally and we're going to have to figure out how to stop squabbling, stop blaming China stop blaming okay. each other and get together to solve this crisis.
1: Thank you very much John Gibbons, we'll talk to you again next week The Last Word with
0: Matt Cooper
1: Weekdays from 4.30 Today.